They say this thing about Christmas, don't they, that it's better with kids around. Uh, my mum, she's been widow, widowed for a bit over three years now, and I thought, okay, better ring her and sort out what she's doing for Christmas, still thinking I have to manage her life. Uh, and I ring her and she said, oh, actually, it's all right, uh, you know, one of my, my nieces is coming over and, and she's got kids, so it'll be Christmas. Um, it's like that buzz when kids kind of run around and there's excitement rather than just the sort of waking up and then eating a lot and then you know, blah, blah, blah. But think about the opposite though. If it's true that it's exciting when there's kids and people and buzz around, the opposite is kind of true as well, I think. That Christmas is terrible when there's really nothing and no one around. Um, this year for my own family, Maddie and I, uh, I have actually no idea what we're doing. It's very unusual for us. Uh, Maddie may know what we're doing, um, but I don't know yet. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some nice family gathering and I'm, I'm sure it will be lovely and I'm, I'm sure we'll see some other people who love us and whom we love. But for some of you, you'll just spend Christmas at home, uh, maybe just with the people in your house. For others, maybe there's really just not much to look forward to. You might not be invited anywhere, you might just have to work, you might have no one to invite. For some people there will be no table and no seats and no real season's greetings. So over these next few weeks, what we're going to do is go back to the famous story of Jesus' birth to see how it makes this season better to remind ourselves of what Christmas really is meant to make us think and feel like. And today, as we look at the first part of the birth story, what we're going to see is that actually Jesus is really wanting us to have something to look forward to, something to be hopeful about, that Christmas gives us a better hope. Jesus' birth story it would have stirred up an, an enormous amount of controversy, actually, in the town they were in. Uh, what happened at that first Christmas really set it up on a kind of terrible path, in a sense. It's a controversial birth. Uh, this is the story at the heart of Christmas. It's the first time what was a season of uh, celebration in other religions is transformed into a celebration we now call Christmas. Um, before it was called Christmas, there was, there was another festival called Saturnalia, uh, which they celebrated in the kind of Mediterranean around Rome. It happened around the kind of mid-December, and that was a festival where everyone just went, well, they do what Aussies normally do at Christmas. Uh, that's essentially what happened, and it, it was pretty wild. Uh, one of the kind of ancient Roman history guys, Seneca, describes their season as this. It's now the month of December when the greatest party of the city is in a bustle. Loose reins are given to public dissipation. I'm not sure what that means. Everywhere you may hear the sound of great preparations. So it is a time when they're surrounded by celebration across the Roman Empire, and in the middle of that the Jesus story bursts onto the scene. And this is the one, not for the Romans, but for the ancient people of God, Israel. They've they really been waiting for this gift from God. Waiting and waiting. Before this is the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus, which is kind of interesting. It's a very Christmas thing to do, isn't it? You know, people get around and start talking about the family tree. It's what happens in Matthew. They're, they're waiting for so long. There's 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations... And then we get here, after all the hoping and hoping, in verse 18 we find out the whole point. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Here's why we do Christmas. What happened here is not pretty in a lot of ways. It would have made for awesome playground gossip. 
it would have dominated the group chats. Uh, a young girl, she's most likely at the age of marriage for their culture. It's a bit shocking to us. Their marriage age is probably between 12 and 14. Uh, the guy probably would have been no more than 18 and would have been expected to be saving up for, for a marriage. And they were uh, engaged, betrothed uh, to one another. It's not like we understand engagement, not the same kind of thing. It's a lot more serious, a lot more public. It's a bit like when somebody buys a house, you sign a contract, you go through settlement period, then you move in. They get betrothed, the deal is sealed. They have the kind of betrothal engagement period, then finally they get married and moved in. This is a really big deal, a binding commitment. But kids, there is no smoochy kissing until the wedding night. So the first Christmas was both miraculous and controversial. In verse 18, Jesus' mother Mary was pledged, betrothed, to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. From the outside, it looks like Joseph has been mistreated, that Mary has done the wrong thing. And there can be no question that the town would have talked about that. A decent young couple making a mistake. And normally, Joseph would have every right, and it would be completely righteous, for him to publicly disown Mary. There would be nothing wrong with him doing that. It would be expected for him to do that. But Joseph's response is a kind of good bloke response in a way, in that he wants to go above and beyond. He, he sort of knew he had to leave Mary, but he decided he wanted to do it with more respect than he, he really had to. He was going to walk away from the contract and the relationship, but he was going to try and do it in a way that created as little disturbance as possible and kept the village and family together. In verse 19, because uh, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. In the time of Jesus' birth, difficult things happen. Family bust-ups happen. Being embarrassed about your partner happens. It's not the main, part, uh, main point of this part of the Bible at all, but it, it's worth looking at. Because it's good to see that everyone, everywhere, all the time, has those things that can make Christmas pretty awkward. Uh, there are plenty of people who find the Christmas period really hard. Um, you know, my mum again, she'd been widowed for a while. Uh, one of the things she used to look forward to was her birthday, because her birthday is on the 29th of November, then Dad's birthday is on the 30th, which used to be great fun. But now... Not only is her birthday ruined, but the next day is not joyful either. It's taken some of the joy out of Christmas. and I, You might be someone who gets invited to join a family for Christmas, but you know it's mainly because uh, the rest of their family can't come, so there's space. I mean, the invite is great, and the people inviting you, it's absolutely genuine, but somehow you know you're a bit the odd one out. Then even when it sort of all works fine, there are breakups and breakdowns and the grandma and grandpa who are always bicker than the same questions about when you'll get a different job or what you'll do at uni or what you're doing with the house or why isn't there a baby yet, all of those questions. 
It's always around. Christmas has this kind of strange way as a celebration of bringing out the most awesome things about us and also the pointy end of the things that are the most difficult. What reason do we have to be looking forward with kind of joy? What will make it nice rather than just same, same? Where this story of Jesus takes us is to a, a place where things come together. We're starting to see here Jesus forming a new and bigger kind of celebration, a new and bigger table where his people were sort of squashed in together, that kind of classic Christmas way where there's so many people in the house. You've got one table, then you bring the other kind of less good table and put it next to that, and then there's the little table that maybe you play cards on and wonky, and someone says, I know what we can do. Let's put the dip and chips on the ironing board. You know, that's kind of all just as much as you can do to cram as many people in the one room. See, when Jesus comes down... He's showing us that God's plan was always not to be away from his people, but to come down and be with them, to be at the coalface. God becoming a human, like every other human in many ways. When Jesus was born, it was God saying, I am near you. It wasn't a normal birth, obviously. Uh, Even in terms of their religious stuff, this is not a way a God would behave. It's very belittling, very embarrassing and humiliating to make yourself a baby. And this is not the way humans experience things either. If someone says to you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having a baby and it's been miraculously conceived, it's very difficult to believe. So it was very unusual. But before Joseph could walk away, even in the good way he wanted to do it, God broke into his sleep. Verse 20, after Joseph had considered all this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I've never had God say something to me in a dream. I know that people have, and that does happen sometimes, but it's not super common. God's message here is kind of universe-breaking. Mary is having a baby, Even though there's no reason you can think she should have one, she is having one because God somehow who made and controls everything has come down and put a normal human baby inside this woman. So God's saying to Joseph, you don't need to leave, you don't need to be ashamed, you don't need to be embarrassed. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is a moment they had been looking forward to. The one from the Holy Spirit, the one from God. This is the promise-making God they had learned about. They'd kind of looked forward for hundreds, thousands of years to this idea that he joined them and they would see him. When the spiritual reality that they kind of had thought about suddenly came and grabbed people. The first Christmas is God putting himself in the middle of it all. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's kind of nice, isn't it? You sort of wish there'd be more places in the Bible where it has a weird word and then in brackets explains it. Um, This is one of the great ones. They call him Emmanuel and God is with us. With Christ, God arrives. And that's a good thing to remember at Christmas. For the Christian, God is never far away. 
at any and every celebration moment, Jesus is not the kind of God who sends some instructions and a nice Christmas letter and then keeps to himself. His world and his people aren't forgotten. I guess sometimes, you know, I think I'm not the only one who you can slip into having God like a health insurance policy or um, a nightlight or something like that where you're absolutely valuable, worthwhile, totally there, you know, really committed to it. But it's more likely when things are pear-shaped that you sort of go, go to it. We've got to remind ourselves that's not the God we follow or see here. We see a God who drops himself into a, a nothing village in what is a nothing country at a time that was really quite random in many ways. The birth of Jesus is this strange mixture of there's so much that's normal about it that it can be hard to believe. At the same time as there's so much that's not normal about it, Jesus is the one who says to each and every one of us, I am near you, I know you, I understand you. In setting up Christmas, he's wanting to set up a table where we know there is always a place. Something that's always got our name on it. Last weekend I wasn't here, I was at a wedding. Uh, My friend from high school uh, got married and it was lovely and I was in the bridal party and kind of sitting up the front and uh, you know I was sitting next to one of the other guys in the bridal party. We were halfway through the night before we realised not only was there a kind of wooden cutout with our name on it, but the people in the bridal party had a glass with their name on it. And then I thought, well, I'd better use it. Um, and then I had to figure out how to get this really cheap, fragile glass home and I did. But it's just kind of special having your name on it. And I actually think That's the kind of thing that God wants to communicate here. Is that Jesus is coming in a way to make sure that people like you and I could always have a seat near God. They'd always have something and someone to look forward to. Because as Jesus comes, he's also bringing this thing full salvation. He comes as this Messiah, this King, and also a Saviour. Saving from what? Well, a world where even the best times of year can be the worst times of year. A world where people forget others and mistreat others and laugh at being Christian. And saving each each of us who are part of the problem. Where we forget others and mistreat others and laugh at other Christians. God knows it all. He's directly in it all. And his mission is to fix it. That's why he's given the name he's given. In verse 21, she'll give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. Jesus, the name Yeshua, it's just a super common name, the equivalent to our John. There would have been several people named Jesus. The difference with this Jesus is not only will he have the name he saves, he will do the job of saving. And Joseph realises, even though he may not fully understand it, that something astounding is happening. In a different way, God has come near. God has made Mary pregnant. God has promised salvation. A new age, a new season has begun. This ancient kind of celebration of Saturnalia or whatever the party was is going to be transformed by a celebration that's got a horizon that lasts forever. And so Joseph 
did exactly what God asked him to. Verse 22, he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. You know, the thing we've got to remind ourselves of is Christmas is a great time to have the hope that we know the one who saves. Because you need to be saved. You need to be saved. There will be things you need to confess. You are someone who has hurt people. You are someone who has forgotten people. You are someone who has forgotten God. You are someone who has mistreated God. You are someone who has mistreated his church. So am I. We all have. Times we're all part of that gossip that would have run wild in Mary and Joseph's town. But the heart of our story is that God comes into the middle of that and he comes near us and out of love, instead of coming near us and absolutely getting us in the trouble we deserve. No, he doesn't do that. His gift is not only coming as a baby and saying, I get what your life is like, but dying on a cross to pay the price for our sin against God. So every Christmas, this Christmas, confess Remind yourselves of your future because he saves. A friend of mine this week, um, I'll tell you his name so you can look up, but his name is Sam Wan and the website's the Gospel Coalition Australia. He wrote this article. Uh, I'll try and post it on our Facebook tomorrow so you can read it, but I just essentially want to finish by summarising some stuff he said, which I thought really helped uh, in terms of this, this kind of talk. He said we've all had some kind of isolation and distance over the past few years. And for lots of us, it's kind of been short term, right? You've been separated by COVID and travel. And you can tell that that's sort of over because airline tickets are like, whoo! Everyone's got this pent-up travel. Like, I've got to visit such and such. So for many of us, things will just go back to normal, right? The Christmas bonbons will be out. Uh, you'll have to wear those stupid paper crowns. Uh, I, my head is just too big for everyone. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, for others, uh, this holiday is going to be a reminder that they are forgotten, that there's really nowhere to travel to. There's really no seat at the table, and that, that's actually just normal. That's what they live. One thing we can do is, is work hard to be near those who are often forgotten by welcoming them, bring them to our table, and by doing that, we, we kind of demonstrate this hope of the new age that Jesus has begun. Remember those who have never had their name on a Christmas present, who have no seat waiting at a family gathering, who've only ever seen their name on their electricity bill or in that email subscription they can't seem to unsubscribe from. We need to remember them, include them in our gatherings as much as we can. And not just one-off, but figure out how to do it in a way that's a permanent appointment that actually is sustainable in both your lives. The Lord Jesus has come near to us. He gave up so much to do it. So much to give us something to always hope for. Coming as a fragile, naked baby, dying as a fragile, naked human on the cross to say to us, you can come to my table and there is always a name on the chair for you. If you are struggling this season... We know that Christmas may not be happy for you. New Year may not bring blessings. But know that God has not forgotten you. 
Your future is not always being the odd one out. Our future is astoundingly good. Jesus is near. And we always have hope for a bigger and better and forever Christmas. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we first of all want to say we're grateful to uh, be in a culture that still allows us to put Christmas kind of um, up in lights. And as a church family, we want to remember it well. We want to confess to you that there are still plenty of times when we sort of push you to the background, uh, when we worry that you can't control what's going on, worry about our parents or kids or whatever. And we want to thank you that, Jesus, you came... You understand what it is to be human, that you died on the cross for us. And so we can always look forward knowing, yep, it will be better. And we can always know that you're the kind of God who loves being near. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.